Good afternoon. Welcome to We Got Planning News for You. Uh, we're delighted you can join us once again. May I make the usual reminder, please do consider making a um, donation to a uh, charity of your choice or one of our preferred charities, Shelter, uh, Brian May's Save Me or the um, Ukraine GoFundMe page. Um, we're delighted uh, to have, um, for the first time on our show, um, an elected um, leader of, of a local authority, um, Toby, Toby Savage, the leader of South Gloucestershire Council, who we're hugely looking forward to our discussion with. Toby, how are you doing? Where, where are you calling us from this evening? Um, well, good evening, everyone. I'm calling from the uh, Bristol and Bath Science Park in South Gloucestershire, um, where we're currently hosting an EV rally. Amazing. Amazing. Looking forward to hearing all about that uh, later on. And uh, what have you chosen for your, your theme or the theme for this week, Toby? And, and what, if anything, are you drinking? Or maybe you've just come out of your rally, so you haven't had a chance to get a glass. Um, so, well, I think uh, given the extraordinary events and historic events of today, mm. um, I think that uh, the only possible theme for this week has to be Boris. Um, and I suppose sort of my, my, my sort of specific prop uh, mm. to um to to use um for this evening is is um oh don't know if you can ah, uh, see yeah. that uh it is, it is the what is the stand stand with ukraine um uh postcard because i think uh, quite understandably uh the, the the departure of this prime minister will be remembered for a number of notable reasons mm. that have led to it uh party gate and then most mm. recently the issues around chris chris pincher but i think it's also important just to recognize um the other achievements in mm. office and i think actually the role that the uk has played the, the you know the world leading role that we have played to support ukraine um, whether that is um, through uh, supporting um, the um, their armed forces, providing aid, or and then providing sanctuary in this country through the Homes for Ukraine mm. scheme, I think actually there's a lot to be proud of that our country has mm. contributed to in Ukraine, and that actually Ukrainians themselves hold the UK up as being their their top ally. Thank you. you know, as it's happened, sheer coincidence. The, the three Ukrainians I've been helping find a place in the UK, they got their visas through today. So. Perfect timing. So a good illustration of that. No, thank you for that, Toby. Well, let's introduce the panel now. Mary, as always, starting with you. I think you're back in town legal's offices by the look of it. I am. Thank you very much. Good evening, mm -hmm. uh, everyone. Welcome, Toby. Lovely to have you mm -hmm. on the show. Yeah, uh, Mary Cook, town legal. Um, looking forward to it all. Having a cup of tea. Huh. Paul, you look like you're somewhere, Sally. <laughs> uh, I am, Charlie. If I move to the not side. Not an MSA either. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is uh, an MSA directly above the city of Dubrovnik, which is where I am at the moment. See how much I love you that I even interrupt a family holiday. I literally have come off the beach to do this. Um, and every so often I've been checking my phone as the quiet political time mm -hmm. things have, have, uh, have been having whilst I've been away. Uh, and in the light of that, I need some local uh, brew called therapy. Cheers. <laughs> Fantastic. Sasha, how are you doing? You're looking very summery. Thank you, Charlie. Yes, I am, but although I, it slightly belies my location, which mm. is central London, but I have <laughs> got a cut to summarise. Have we got planning news for you? Do you see that? We don't buy superstars, we make them, which was a <laughs> uh, <bang> <laughs> <laughs> Chris. 
Hello, you, hello, you're Charlie. Manager of Shrewsbury Town, are you? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm at the Shropshire, the Shropshire EIP, being held mm. by inspectors uh, Crosby and Dylan. It's a very pleasant uh, EIP. Hugh Richards is acting for the council, yeah. and uh, yeah, Shropshire Town uh, Football Club, um, known as New Meadow, although they've changed the name to the Montgomery Shrewsbury Town. Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury. What did I just say? Shropshire Town. Oh, okay, I've had a long day. I've had a long day dealing with local clusters, right? Yeah, no, Shrewsbury Town Football Club. And um, all the water that you can get here is uh, Celtic Montgomery water. That's the only thing you can get. Boris Boris Thing, there's nothing else in this room other than a rubbish bin, but I wouldn't want to make that connection. <laughs> well, Charlie Banner here, you know, the, the uncharitable thing would be to refer to, to one of my favourite wines, 19 Crimes, but and, uh, the, the more charitable thing would be to reference classics. And on, on my shelf, as a former classic student myself, I had this book, The Athenian Revolution. Now, Pericles is one of Boris Johnson's role models, apparently. And of course, The Athenian Revolution discusses the, um, uh, the, the reform of, of the Athenian dem- of democracy. And of course, we've had our own little rev- quiet revolution, or perhaps not so quiet, in, um, in London yesterday and today. It'll be interesting, probably still going on right now. Um, so interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, right, without further ado, we're going to have the case reports. As I say, Toby, to all our guests, um, don't feel free, uh, feel free to comment if you wish, but there's no obligation at all. Uh, and you, may, you may well prefer not to do so, given your role. Um, but we're going to kick off um, with a judgment from the Court of Appeal, a Barton Park case, um, delivered from our, our man on the ground in Croatia. Uh, that's me, and uh, I have thought of little else but caravans for the afternoon whilst laid on the beach, uh, reading back into the uh, the Barton Park case, uh, having read the, uh, the judgment of His Honour Judge Jarman in the High Court, which was upheld by the Court of Appeal uh, with the lead judgment by Lord Justice Limblom. Um, this is a really interesting uh, area of law for those who are keen on the interpretation of a permission. And I think it probably marks the high water mark of uh, the interpretation on the sort of Lambeth Trump uh, uh, sort of ordinary person interpretation of a permission approach. Um, hitherto, when you look at permissions, uh, there's always been a fairly strict approach that's been taken to the description of development. And it's been said in a case called Winchester that the description identifies what you can do, the conditions qualify how you can do it and restricts it in some way. Well, that's sort of now out of the window in the light of the Court of Appeals judgment upholding the High Court's view. This is a case involving a number of caravans which had a restricted use uh, as described in the, the use itself. Uh, a lawful development certificate was sought to try and have them for permanent residential use. And the court said, no, uh, a reasonable reader looking at the whole permission would say this was as described in the use. This was not a caravan site, uh, as was being argued for by the claimant, and which frankly would have been conventional law about 18 months or so ago. Uh, and the, 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 the fly in the ointment, the, the argument that's going to come up time and time again now for permissions is that when you look at the interpretation of a permission, um, even when you look at the use, even if something falls into the use, you've still got to ask yourself whether or not what's being proposed is a material change of use. So whether, uh, for example, changing from holiday to residential would be a material change of use, even if it fell broadly within the scope of the permission itself. It's pretty much a seminal case and it might end up in the Supreme Court. So, Charlie, get your banners out now. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Uh, yes, still still recovering from the Supreme Court in Hillside on Monday. But uh, well, you were in the Supreme right. Court. I didn't know. Sorry, you barely mentioned it. <laughs> Stop beating him the lines. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Now, um, next, um, Chris, you're going to tell us about Yellen Power Station and a planning appeal over there. I am. This is an interesting case, I must say. Um, so if Rob brings up the, uh, the screen, this is uh, Inspector Stephen Normington, and uh, it was a decision of North Devon District Council that was subject to an appeal, a successful appeal. 250 uh, houses, 3,000 square metres of employment use, retail space. Um, so quite a significant development. Um, and uh, what, what's interesting about this is if we have a look at the pictures uh, that have been sent to me very kindly by Stephen Harris, uh, it was a coal-fired power station uh, sat right on a river estuary. And uh, there it is, uh, as it was in the 1980s, uh, still as a power station. Um, and then the proposal was to redevelop it. And if we go forward, we can see where it's located right on the estuary there. That is an SPA. So there used to be a coal-fired power station right on a European protected um, designated estuary um, in Devon. And then if we go forward, uh, what's been proposed is obviously uh, a development, a significant development in its place. They're obviously using the volume of the area um, and some very nice houses. If you see, uh, it sounds like a sales brochure, but if you look at that, that's uh, that's designing some very beautiful Homes. So the, the appeal scheme was all about the redevelopment of a brownfield land. And if we have a look at some of the uh, the paragraphs from the actual decision, uh, if we have a look at paragraph 19, it was on the Rev River Tor estuary, 38 hectares of land formerly occupied by a coal, coal power station. Um, and it was capped with former ash beds and uh, partially regenerated. Uh, quite a few of the structures had been demolished, but... Um, Imagine that as a brownfield site sitting right next to that estuary. Uh, if we go forward to the next paragraph, we can see that um, there was, when the power station finished, there was no significant remediation or reclamation. And so the site was contaminated with hydrocarbons, heavy metals and asbestos um, and encapsulated in a buried contained cell within the site. Um, so the opportunity to redevelop this, I would have thought, was entirely obvious as a previously developed site, it just obviously had to be done the right way. We go to the next paragraph, it had continued to be used, um, and we can see there that um, it was uh, still a substantial electricity substation, um, and uh, we can see that there were footpath and cycle routes passing the site along the Tarka Trail, and um, uh, and the whole proposal was a, a, effectively a complete and comprehensive redevelopment. And they were successful in this appeal. If we just go forward, um, uh, we can see the proximity. It was the Tor Torridge Estuary Site of Special Scientific Interest, the Broughton Borough Special Conservation Area, so triple SIs, and then um, Zone of Influence, uh, the buffer zone of a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve, um, and we're in the setting of the North Devon Coast Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty. Now, that is layered with protection, isn't it? Um, but as a brownfield site, it was considered suitable for redevelopment. The big issue was really what was the impact of the proposal up to five storey uh, residential development. And so there was landscape and visual impact assessment of this. And if we just go to the next paragraph, we can see the approach that the inspector took was he took into account the findings of the LVIA. Remember, we were discussing that a fortnight ago. 
uh, inspector found that very helpful. And the council's landscape and countryside officer uh, had considered that the LVIA was a reasonably objective assessment of the likely visual landscape and visual effects. Um, and then the, the magnitude of change was considered. Uh, there was some disagreement about that, but a significant amount of agreement through the structure of the LVIA. So there is this is an example of an LVIA doing its job and a huge amount of agreement between the parties, just some disagreement over the final conclusions. And the inspector allowed the appeal. I'm not surprised, to be honest, the, the potential to get rid of all of that contamination when it sat right next to the estuary, I think is inevitable. Uh, and finally, then we've got the team who was successful in this appeal, Vincent Fraser from Paul's Chambers. And uh, he was instructed by uh, Stephen Harris, uh, as I mentioned, and Wendy Lancaster, uh, who's one of our viewers, uh, was the landscape and visual impact assessment witness. Uh, well done to them and um, a not unsurprising decision, I would suggest. Chris, and now Mary, you're going to take it to Evesham and the case yes. of uh, viability. Indeed. This is, this is an appeal by Churchill Retirement Living. Uh, it was an appeal against non-determination, but by the time they got to the inquiry, there really was only one issue. And as you say, it was about viability and the nub of it was an issue around build costs. And the planning practice guidance advocates the use of, and this is the important word, appropriate build costs data, uh, including that derived from the building costs information services. Um, BICs, uh, which both parties used, uh, and one council witness used a subcategory of three to five storey developments, but, but uh, developments relating to general housing, whereas Three Dragons had produced a, uh, a paper uh, which articulated the clear differences between general housing and retirement living, Remember, retirement living often has communal facilities, for example, uh, which plainly general housing doesn't. And the inspector thought it was wrong to use general housing costs, not appropriate, uh, and that um, he therefore supported the use of a subset uh, which included sheltered housing. And the council's second witness, uh, according to the to the report, used that, that subset, as did the appellant's. Um, witness. But then the debate was uh, whether you should be using a, a general subset um, for three-storey buildings because the proposal was for a three-storey block and the inspector was with the council on this and thought that that was the right subset to use, even though it was a subset which had limited uh, um, uh, a limited number of um, buildings that informed the subset. The sample size was small. And in a nutshell, on that second issue, because the um, appellant uh, was using a general subset of sheltered housing because that had a much bigger sample size, the inspector uh, sided with the um, council. However, the upshot of all of that was that the inspector therefore concluded that the proposal wouldn't provide the maximum amount of affordable housing. And so it would be contrary to the development plan. But the story doesn't end there. Because the proposal was on a site which was the subject of, a, which was a car park, and it was in a conservation area. It was a gap site. And in the planning balance, the inspector was clear that the proposal would enhance the character and appearance of the conservation area. And he gave that matter 
substantial weight. He also gave substantial weight to the provision of retirement housing, notwithstanding the fact that Witchhaven, uh, it was agreed, had a five-year housing land supply. And he gave um, uh, the use of the previously developed land plus the economic um, boost to the local economy, um, moderate uh, weight. He, uh, in terms of mental and physical health, he gave the proposal very significant weight because um, of the um, positive benefits for uh, the residents. And he gave the re release of general housing moderate weight. So all of those benefits, uh, he was very clear, outweighed the conflict with the development plan and amounted to a, a, a material consideration which indicated otherwise. And so the appellant led by our esteemed colleague here, the lovely Sasha, was, was successful. So moral of the story, keep your, um, keep your use of the BCIS to the appropriate category. Thanks, Mary. All noted. And talking of whom, Sasha, you're going to tell us about the rather interesting custom house appeal decision that was issued um, a few days ago. I am. And I just as an aside that, Mary, just in relation to that, as I understand it from the census in 2021, the need for elderly accommodation has only grown. So watch this space for all of those of us, which I think it is all of us who do work for providers in that sector. Mm. Anyway, let me move on. Let us, me take you back to history and I'm dealing with the Custom House Appeal and this is a really seminal decision for the use, the reuse of Grade 1 listed buildings. I'm in a major site, obviously by the river in the City of London and this was a, uh, a building, interestingly, we used to be occupied by HMRC so they've mm. sent out a lot of very angry letters over many years. <laughs> um, <laughs> No longer used. I think my grandfather worked there because he used to be an inspector for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. But it, obviously, Her Majesty's government chose to give it up and it was obviously bought by the appellants. And they came up with a reuse scheme involving a hotel. And you can imagine, obviously, the location on Lower Thames Street would be a pretty good location for a hotel. Now, Paul Griffiths had to deal with turning an office use as we can see from Office to Hotel, the proposal involved many works. And the key question was, what was the effect, as always, of those works on a grade one listed building and its significance? And I think this is a, this is a very, very good example of, of the weighing between the internal balance in a heritage case, i.e. whether the works proposed and the works of improvement in heritage terms outweighed the harm in heritage terms and what what Paul Griffiths termed the external balance which was in the light of the finding that the internal balance was against the proposal i.e there would be more harm than benefit in terms of the works proposed to the heritage asset whether under 202 paragraph 202 of the MPPF those works and the harm the less than substantial harm would be outweighed by the public benefits and I think it's pretty interesting in that this case, as you can imagine, public benefits for hotel were very, very extensive. 169 jobs per annum for at least three, the construction jobs, sorry, 169 jobs per annum for at least three years. And the hotel and associated facilities were predicted to create 300 jobs 
So the economic benefits were very, very significant. And also the inspector liked the public space proposed. Indeed, he said it would be a wonderful facility for Londoners. But overall, he took the view that the harm caused to the significance of the building would be would be too great and the impacts would be severe. And so overall, he concluded that the permission should be refused, both the planning permission and the listed building consent. So I think that's a, a, a it's a really interesting wrestling with those the old classic balance between potential optimum viable use, which was the conclusion as well of the inspector, but overall the harm outweighed those potential benefits. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Sasha. Really interesting, um, really interesting case. That and a fascinating site. We'll just see what happens. What happens next on that one? Um, great. Well, let's uh, then move to Toby and um, welcome once again, Toby. I see now that we can see the, <laughs> the centre where you're at. Um, tell us first of all, Toby, um, a little bit about your background. What 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 led you into local government politics in the first? And what really inspired you into that? What were you doing beforehand? Um, well, so Charlie, before I answer, I, I'm conscious I didn't share my my oh, drink yeah. uh, yes. this evening. So um, ah. I wanted to share that it is a a brand of water called Hyatt, Hyatt. Um, which is um, a Turkish brand of water, and that is reflective of the um, eating establishment that I was frequenting after a council meeting last <laughs> night. That the only one that was open uh, in my local area. So it was a it was a kebab for dinner. Uh, uh, late, late last night. Um, also, I was going to say that in terms of your prop uh, and and linked with the theme this evening, I'm surprised you didn't put forward your own blonde locks. Well, I, I, I was waiting for someone to say that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> but but but, um, but Not yeah, weird, to, by the way, everyone's <laughs> real. <laughs> but, but to yeah, get on to your your question. So um, I was I was born and brought up in South Gloucestershire. I've always had a, mm. an interest and a, and a passion for the for the local area. And um, I've also always been interested in, in politics as well. Uh, and so, the, you know, the opportunity arose to to stand for the council, um, and so, which I did back in 2015, uh, got elected um, and, and then uh, became leader of the council uh, in, in May uh, 2018. So just over just over four years now. Um, but um, I think, you know, you go into this role because you want to make a difference locally. Um, you know, mm. it's an area it's an area that I know and love um, and um, I'm really enjoying my role. Mm. And what was it to be doing? Perhaps you gave us a little bit of a, a little bit of glimpse into the into the role uh, when you mentioned about being so late that you, <laughs> kebab was the only option last night. I mean, tell us a little, little bit more about if there is such a thing a typical typical day or week, and you know how much work is involved. Well, what's great about this role is there is there isn't a typical day or a typical mm. week. Every day and every week is is different. Um, but just in terms of this week. Um, so last night, the reason for my late finish was I was attending a, a scrutiny commission uh, meeting. Um, so uh, you know, I, you know, I attend I attend those on a regular basis um, mm. to be scrutinised in terms of my performance and the overall yeah. performance of the council by my fellow fellow councillors. So that was a particularly late finish. Um, I think we you know got out of that about quarter to eleven. Uh, last last night but then you know today I was talking to a local school um, mm. they've got a democracy week uh, running so I was telling them about about uh, about my role uh, in in relation to to local democracy um, I, I'm I'm here in the midst of a, a rally um, the great British uh, electric vehicle rally um, that is uh, stopping off um, at awesome. the science at the science park uh, this week to you know showcase 
the potential for electric vehicles um, to become a, a, yeah, a regular uh, part of day-to-day life and, and particularly for business as well and, and, and being a, a reliable um, uh, addition to the vehicle fleet for businesses. So yeah, it's um, uh, you know, it can be early starts, late finishes, weekend working, but but mm-hmm. every week, every day, and every week is different. And how much, in broad terms, how much of your work as leader involves planning? Obviously, you've got, there are people in the council who specialise in planning, but as the leader in that overarching role, how much of that touches upon planning, generally speaking? I think is a lot is mm-hmm. fair to say. I think that planning and the planning service is is probably one of the most important functions of the council because it does touch an impact on on all aspects of life um Mm. and and you know there are particular priorities that that i've established as as leader of the council Mm. um uh, we've got uh, uh, we're getting far more active around urban regeneration um, so our, mm. our growth, our growth as a district over many years now. So, so we're, we, we have been and continue to be one of the fastest growing areas outside of London. Um, it's fair to say, so say though, that that growth has largely been a sort of endless greenfield or greenbelt urban extensions. And that has mm. come at the, the cost of our established communities mm. that would benefit from the investment that comes from new development, but which for a number of reasons has proved tricky to, to get off the ground. So as a council, we're being far more active in that space, mm-hmm. not simply relying on our local planning authority functions, but we are active in acquiring land. Um, mm-hmm. So we're able to sort of pull that lever um, and, and to access infrastructure funding um, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's held within the wider, the wider public sector, Homes England, um, or, or our, our combined authority regionally. So, yeah, it's um, planning's a big part of, of, of the role. But of course, I don't sit on a planning committee, so I'm not actually it's making actually the, the, develop, yeah. the development management decisions. And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a, I mean, it's a, it's a very varied um, area, actually, isn't it, South? I mean, we obviously, as people who do a lot of planning inquiries, tend to focus on on the housing aspects of what's going on in particular local authority, because that tends to be the area where we're most occupied. But can you give us a little pen portrait of some of the other issues that may, may be of interest to our, our sort of planning focus viewers? Um, are some of the other issues that are going on in, in South Gloucestershire at the moment? Um, so, so local local councils are really complex organizations um you know planning is the you know sort of planning is a small part of what we do it's an important part of what we do but we've got big obligations legal obligations around social care um mm. both children's and adults um uh recycling and waste collection libraries youth services schools um and i think across the board and it's not just within local governments, but we've got particular challenges around recruitment and retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a number of services uh, are struggling because of those wider workforce mm-hmm. uh, issues that that we hear lots about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we lost a load of um, drivers. Um, they were they were recruited by uh, the HGV industry, obviously, at the height of um, all the controversy there was around um the logistics of lorries being able to you know get around the country to restock shelves and the like so we saw a load of drivers kind of leave sort of council operations you know dr- you know driving our gully cleaning machines our our um waste collection vehicles in order to move into those industries so we've then got a job to do as the public sector to 
attract people, attract new people into those roles so we can continue to keep those services running. And you've got a new local plan coming along. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So we do. Um, and we've just um, just concluded a consultation mm. on that. And, and I think it's very much around trying to raise the standard of new developments because, uh, you know, as I said, we've, we've grown a lot over the years. Uh, and some of that, I, I would say not enough of that development has probably been stuff that the industry themselves would hold up as being very proud of mm. um, and I think actually there's a recognition in the industry that that collectively we need to raise the standards of new developments um, coming forward uh, so you know in terms of design environmental sustainability uh, very keen to uh, work with the industry and, and stakeholders to uh, to you know to raise the standards of that. Mm. Um, and as I said, um, particular focus around urban regeneration. Uh, interestingly, this this local plan will also be the first time that we've proactively planned for rural growth. Mm. So rural growth has historically been treated as windfall. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I was I grew up in a in a village washed over by the green belt, mm. and sort of aware of the challenges that face. Uh, rural communities and so we are taking a proactive approach to work with every one of our rural communities around what is the appropriate uh, approach to growth there um, given the wider benefits to uh, sustainability um, of local services that that is important to those areas. That's really interesting we we or maybe one of the members of the audience the audience questions which I do encourage by the way might come back to that because it's quite um, you know, the typical approach of, of old style local plans is to really sort of you know it, apart from the areas of countryside which are allocated for development sort of draw a line around the rest of the countryside and as you say that has implications in terms of the vitality and viability of some of those some of those communities um, and um, Affordable housing. Um, South Gloucester has got a, um, a relatively impressive record in, in relation to very affordable housing, which is, is for all the well-documented reasons, not something which many authorities can claim to. Um, tell us a bit more about how you've been doing in relation to affordable housing and what, if any, sort of lessons have you learned about how to facilitate um, uplifted delivery? So uh, before I come on to affordable housing specifically, in terms of our overall housing uh, delivery um last year it, 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 up to march 22 we actually had our highest level of completions ever in south gloucestershire which was uh, running at just above um uh, 1600 homes so that was the highest uh, level since mm -hmm. the council came into being um and in that past year 560 of those have been affordable mm. um uh, about half of that figure again of uh, it has been social rents and then the rest affordable rent and shared ownership uh, now it's fair to say that it's taken some time to get up to that rate of delivery and I think we had an issue some years ago where as far as we were concerned as the council and uh, and actually uh, so our, our, our local plan actually was adopted before I before I even became a councillor um, but as part of that local plan had allocated a number of very large strategic sites that were complex in bringing forward. Mm. So we had a period where we were unable to demonstrate a five-year mm. land supply. Uh, but 
now those big sites are really starting to motor. Um, yeah. They are now starting to deliver, and that and that and that is contributing towards those uh, the, those those impressive rates of of delivery. Um, so we actually last year we delivered forty percent of all affordable homes in the West of England region. And for those not familiar with the West of England region, as well as that being South Gloucestershire, it's also Bristol, Bath and North East Somerset, and North Somerset. What about you mentioned the other authorities? Um, as as you know, the uh, the duty to cooperate much maligned, but also much relied upon. Um, is, is going to likely to be abolished under the levelling up bill. From, from your perspective, Toby, as, as a political leader that, that has to cooperate as a matter of practice with other local authorities you described, has the duty to cooperate um, been of any use? Has it worked? Has it been a hindrance? Are you, are you sad to see it go? I've got I've got no particular views on the duty to cooperate. It was never something that that particularly uh, yeah um, came onto my radar um I, I would say just generally with duties and 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 sort of passing laws and the like that that they'll only do so much if the culture and the leadership uh don't don't similarly change um now actually within the west of england region there has been a long history of uh of cooperation between the councils so although I've got a different political persuasion to my neighbour in Bristol and my neighbour in Bath, uh, actually, we've got really strong relationships at a political level, recognising that normal people don't recognise where the council boundaries are. Uh, they don't live their lives by council boundaries. So uh, how people get around the region, where people work, where people live, um, uh, you know, how they, get, how they get around to access education, leisure, um, employment, uh, you know, we have to, you know, yeah, we've got to work across that regional footprint. So, I think you know, duties have always will always have limitations if actually the the culture, the leadership, the relationships uh, are weak uh, in uh, in the first place. Mm, that's really really interesting. Um, and um, on a sort of similar vein, really, in terms of sort of leadership, uh, it's a common theme of this, I suppose, and and relationships etc um no what what do you think are the most effective ways of persuading local communities to embrace new development uh, to meet needs you know as, as a politician you know somebody ultimately engaged in the art of of political persuasion how do you get local communities on board to reconcile the fact that there there might have to be some needed development in their area i think it's about you know getting in early with the conversations um, and, and how you introduce the idea of 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 you know the principle of of new development in a particular community, um, and you know that is an investment that has to be made. And and yes, there's a role for the council to be facilitating that sort of discussion through our plan making processes. But I think is there's also an obligation on the industry to. To, to, to start those conversations early and to properly resource them and not to see communication uh, as something, um, as, as a budget trim uh, when considering um, you know, the technical work that's needed around highways, ecology uh, and the like. I think uh, you know, it needs to be seen as, um, uh, yeah, as an equal 
of equal importance as you're looking to progress a a planning proposal. Um, And I think it's about actually the, the, the product that you're seeking to, 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 to introduce in that particular area. And actually how sympathetic is it? Uh, How have you taken on board uh, local vernaculars and the like? Uh, how are you looking to raise raise the standard? Because you know, if you are a particular developer who perhaps already has a track record in the local area, perhaps stretching back many years, if you do live in a particular community and you're suddenly aware that developer A wants to build something, you're naturally going to look at what they've previously built. Uh, yeah. And 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 again, I, I you know I I'm not sure that that there are. There probably aren't as many developers as we would like who are who would say honestly that they are proud now looking back on some of the things that they have built in mm-hmm. that local area, um, and so uh, it's very you know you know that that is obviously very difficult for when you're trying to win over hearts and minds uh, mm-hmm. of new developments. And I think it's importantly it's also about it's about keeping that conversation going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I notice those developers who only want to talk to me. When they've got a planning application to submit, I also notice those those developers that will, after the you know after the the scheme has been you know as they're building it, you know inviting me to come and look at a live construction site, meet the apprentices, yeah. um, to actually to to actually be able to show well hang on this is what we promised when we were going through the the application process and here's what we've actually delivered. I don't see enough of that conversation continuing. Um, I see the conversation stopping and starting every time they want something from the council. Do you think that, um, that do you detect any sort of shift in in direction from the big PLC house builders in light of the building view for the agenda? Are they starting to up their game? Do, do you get that impression? Um, I I I do get that impression. It, it probably isn't moving as quickly as as I would like, mm-hmm. and I think that mm-hmm. I think the the SME house builders are leading the way in driving up standards um uh, we've got a number of small developers within south gloucestershire that are building epc a plus rated mm-hmm. homes um, they're already at net zero appreciate there's a debate about how you define net zero but in terms of how they're choosing to define it it seems a reasonable way to do so mm-hmm. um and and i think the big the big plcs have, have got to catch up mm-hmm. um um, and I noticed that some of the big PLC house builders, obviously, they all structure themselves in different way. And, and some of their regional business units appear to have more flexibility than other than others. Um, some appear to be very constrained by what head office says and the and the product types that head office stipulates. Um, uh, whereas actually, there are some uh, of the larger house builders that do appear to have more flexibility, and and therefore it's an easier conversation because actually they are able to be flexible. They can be responsive to, to, uh, to local, to local need and local wishes. Mm. And last question for me, leveling up bill, assuming it's still going to happen, but broadly the same place. Any, any thoughts from your perspective as to what the main sort of implications for South Gloucestershire are likely to be from, from the changes proposed there? Well, yeah, I suppose after today's events, it's difficult to know sort of yeah where the government's legislative agenda is is at really. But um, I think I think broadly overall, you know, welcome the the levelling up and regeneration bill, um, uh, and obviously how that differs from the the planning reforms that were um, proposed 
a couple mm. of years back now. Mm. Uh, I think that you know trying to strengthen plan making um, mm. that that that's that's to be welcomed. Mm. I think actually how we can um, improve the availability of data mm. uh, and and embrace sort of digital approaches, mm. um, which, which we've actually been doing as part of our local plan consultation work so you know trying to do things differently um in a more accessible way um, and actually sort of yeah, really pleased with the level of engagement that we're that we're getting on that so i think trying to encourage more of that uh you know is 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 to be is to be welcomed it'll be interesting to see how that legislation evolves as it works its way mm-hmm. through its uh, parliamentary stages yeah absolutely absolutely were you ever to some local authorities of of um fairly publicly um, put back their new local plans to take advantage of the new regime. Was that any something that you looked at? Were you tempted by that going down that route? No, um, I think what's what's complicated. Well, yeah, what, what's complicated about our region is that because we've got a combined authority, mm. um, there's also been a piece of work underway um, to move forward with a spatial development strategy, um, and so our local plan has 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 been linked to. Uh, the, the the timeline for the SDS. So you need um, so to get we, a move on. Um, uh, well, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I mentioned that you know the, our, our adopted plan was adopted before I even became a councillor. It was back in 2013. Yeah. So so we're very keen to move on with it. Um, we don't want to hold hold back. Um, you know, we've we've got a vision um, for the district as a whole, and then and then you know specific visions that are in line with local communities wishes in particular parts of the you know well in all parts of the district but but they'll all differ differ in a bit in a in a in a, in a different way uh, we want to get on and and uh, help those communities to achieve what what they're after thank you right we're going to open the floor up for questions um, mary what, what's your question for toby thank you very much charlie uh, my question toby is is about leadership and um, of today of all days um how important is leadership at all levels and how effective is the local strategic partnership uh, and indeed the west of england strategic authority in bringing leaders together as my mary thank you for that question so i think so leadership is 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 really important um uh because it obviously sets the the priorities for the organization but i think it also sets the the culture that then needs to pervade the rest of the organization um and uh, housing planning regeneration they are important priorities for uh, for, for for the council um and we're increasingly active active in that space and and that, and that um, does involve working with partners uh, and working with neighbours that I mentioned earlier are, are, are sort of under different different political control. Um, and um, you mentioned our local strategic partnership. So that's how we bring together sort of the, the, the partners and stakeholders within South Gloucestershire, whether that is the big local businesses, um, the local NHS, uh, local uh, further education colleges and 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 our, our local university and and others, um, because the you know a vision that we set in any planning document it can't it can't be fulfilled by the council acting alone. It does require a, a partnership approach, not just with those those sorts of stakeholders, but but also with the public themselves. On the west of England side of things, um, uh, you know, that that is that is a 
um, it's a more challenging uh, sort of forum because of the of the of the issues that of the issues that we're that we're talking about. And um, you know, the, there'll be many of your viewers that will have followed some of the um, twists and turns of our. Uh, of, of our relationships across the west of England but what people should have noticed throughout um, those twists and turns is actually the relationship the relationships with the councils um, as unitary authorities in the west of England are incredibly strong um, we need to see a similarly strong partnership with our combined authority thank you very much Toby thanks Mary thanks Toby um, Paul what's your what's your question um, hello, Toby. Sorry, I've moved uh, locations because my internet's rubbish. So, so, sorry, apologies. I'll, just, I'll move my locations. My internet's not not great. Um, t- Toby, I, I've got a question with a bit of a barb to it, I'm afraid. Um, we've spent the last two years getting used to this sort of virtual environment, um, which has been hugely beneficial across a number of uh, different spheres, um, but including council meetings and committee meetings. The The recently departed Secretary of State um, refused to uh, reinstate the power to allow virtual council meetings. In a world where most councils are arguing that there's a climate change emergency and it's much more sustainable to not jump in your car and drive into the city centre, what, what would you suggest the new Secretary of State should be doing? Well, I, yeah, I entirely agree with you, Paul, around the benefits of, of virtual meetings. And, mm-hmm. and we have, as a council, made a number of representations now um, to, you know, for those powers to be reinstated a, a, along with the wider local government family. Um, you know, we think that it is a, it's an obvious flexibility that councils should have to, to, to decide when actually it's appropriate for a meeting to be virtual or whether it's appropriate for a meeting to be, um, you know, to be in person. Uh, it's crackers that we don't have that flexibility that actually that, that is, that is, that's decided nationally um, so I'm I'm very hopeful that we, we we will regain those powers that we had under the emergency coronavirus legislation, but which expired when that legislation expired. Uh, so yeah, um, I'm with you on that. Watch watch this phone to see what the new government or, or the new. Let's hope Grand Chaps is listening. Does. Yes. Steady, steady. <laughs> well, Suella, um, um, now, um, Chris, what's your question? Thank you, Charlie. Uh, Toby, hello. Very, very impressive, that affordable housing delivery. I know all of your big sites in South Gloucestershire, and um, that's really good to see. And I know some of them are greenfield sites, and that is testament to the fact that greenfield sites do deliver a lot of affordable housing. So um, congratulations. I mean, that is a serious amount of affordable housing you're delivering. Um, I was going to ask you what's the best thing about, you know, having a local plan, but I think I think you've already answered that. My question is about the, the West of England plan. I mean, that that went wrong. There are other spatial plans being tried right now, including in Greater Manchester, as many of us know. What, what do you think went wrong with the West of England plan? Why, why didn't it progress? Because it was trying to do a sub-regional plan. Um, what went wrong? So... Uh, at its most basic, there just wasn't the collaboration with the unitary authorities that there needed to be, um, recognising that that we are the local planning authorities. Um, it was a document that was um, developed uh, amongst a very, very 
closed circle of of individuals sat within the combined authority and very little um, genuine collaboration and engagement um, with with um, with the councils. We had an infamous letter. I say infamous, obviously infamous internally to us um, back in February. Um, because we had written a number of, of uh, you know, there was, a, there was regular exchanges of correspondence around actually, you know, we haven't seen this yet. Uh, we kind of need to see it. Um, you're saying this, what's your evidence behind saying that? And we had a letter back in February saying that um, we haven't got time to answer your questions. Um, we're going to uh, move forward and, and, and bring the document to a committee meeting. Uh, and so uh, just nobody so you know forget the the politics of it but just from an officer perspective um i was being advised that you can't possibly vote for this because well none of us know what it's about uh so actually it was really basic uh what went wrong um there was a cultural attitude within the combined authority that just viewed it as their documents um and they would and, and they would bring it forward in whichever way they saw fit yeah, and that, and that that is it. Officer level, or largely officer level, or was member involvement in that? Well, it, it was both, but I think that you know we talk about leadership and culture, and obviously that does come from the top. Um, and uh, again, for those familiar with the twists and turns of of yeah, you know, sort of west of England's you know politics, is is that you know this isn't the only issue where as three local authorities under three different political types of political control you know we've all been saying the same thing that there simply isn't enough collaboration and involvement on the strategic the strategic challenges that the the region faces okay really really interesting thank you thanks chris and toby thank you i mean i think the the pervading theme uh I've, i take from this discussion is the importance of leadership true leadership uh, and and what you said about the you know, the personalities and the cultures of of, of political leaders I and mean, it's probably fair to say a lot of the time local government politicians get a bit of a bad rap from from people mm-hmm. in our our sector and our viewers and i think um in some cases in many cases perhaps unjustifiably so i mean you've really shown us the extent of of dedication um you hope you have to hope you don't have to live off kebabs every night but <laughs> there's but, nothing wrong uh, with a good donor there's nothing like no that's <laughs> exactly yeah not yeah that's not, not every night not every no, night yeah. that, no, that's, that's not really healthy planning is it that is not healthy planning <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's um no it's really impressive really impressive so um uh, could, could i just make a point uh, charlie as well just around actually that that um a lot of what we do as a council wouldn't be possible without the officers that mm. that support us and, and not just the officers within the planning service, but but the other disciplines within the council as well. I think that actually, mm. you know, we're, de- we're delivering a really exciting agenda in, in South Gloucestershire and, and, and that does boil down to uh, the, the, the talent and dedication of officers that, that can similarly get a bad rap, uh, you know, uh, you know, bad, you know, you can get a bad rep. Um, uh, but I, I take my hat off to them for what they've been able to to do, um, but, you know, because and we'll continue to be incredibly reliant on their on their efforts moving forward. Toby, can I just ask you? Um, one of the things that strikes me about you is is how young you are to be in such a position. And I, I, what I would be interested in is what advice would you give 
um, young people in the audience uh, in terms of how they could get into local politics? Because I, I personally would love to see more, you know, the younger generation uh, involved in politics. And what advice would you give to someone? And by the way, Mary, keep, keep it up, because I'm fairly sure Toby's about the same age as me, because we have a mutual friend that I went to school with. So keep it up. We're going to play that back again on repeat. <laughs> as long as you don't come to my age, I'll be fine. But, um, so to, Toby, you know, what advice would you give a, a 20-something-year-old thinking about entering local politics? Um, well, so I think speak to your local councillor or your local council leader. Um, uh, you know, mm. I, I was very lucky that um, in the village that I grew up, we were, and, and actually, you know, he continues to serve on the council, uh, an incredibly diligent, committed local councillor who very approachable. Um, and, and that was very much my way in to understanding more about local politics and the workings of the council. So as your as your local democratic representative, um, uh, you know they are your first point of call, because and they can give you advice uh, on that, and and yeah, and help you to form a view as to whether actually it's something you want to pursue, um, or or not. Uh, but I've been really determined as as council leader to make sure that the councillors that we've got um, uh, are truly representative of of the of the entire area. Uh, and I'm very proud that that my group and and not wishing to make a you know political mm. points, but actually in terms of our ages, in terms of those of us who have got young families, uh, you know I've got a, I've got a six sixteen month old, you know we've introduced a parental leave policy at the council for other councillors who have who are having families. Um, uh, actually, you know councillors of ethnic minority backgrounds, all of them in South Gloucestershire are conservative. We are you know, trying very hard to uh, have a council and have a crop of councillors that are truly representative of the community. Thank you very much, Toby. Um, before we, we let you go, Toby, um, I, I've managed to achieve the, the, the unachievable because Sasha White QC is one of the most unforgettable people on the planet and I've forgotten him. So, Sasha, please do ask your question. Thank you. Can I ask, can I ask two questions, Toby? First of all, I'm not asking who you want, but come on, give us give us a sense. Who do you think is going to be the Tory leader? Or I'm yeah. not asking you who you want for obvious reasons, but who do you think? Uh, so I think probably will be the most striking uh, feature of this Conservative Party leadership will be the the range of candidates from an ethnic minority background. Uh, unheard of in British politics up until now. So I think I think Rishi Sunak uh, is still um, one uh, to watch. We've got Nadim Zahari. Um, uh, uh, we've also got um, uh, um, Penny Mordaunt, um, who I think is probably the most interesting potential female leadership candidate that people in the party know of and f find very impressive. But but I think the country at large um, are yet yet to see her, um, and we've got obviously Liz Truss uh, as well. So actually, um, and of course, actually, the, sort of the, the local boy to South Gloucestershire that I've that I've scandalously forgotten is is Sajid Javid. Mm. Um, uh, so um, uh, I think there are some going to be some really interesting people mm. come forward. 
um, uh, and it's going to be a really interesting and engaging leadership contest. And I'm just uh, I'm very pleased that I've got a vote in that. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. I'm sorry again. <laughs> well, Toby, so thank you once more. Really, very, very, um, very good of you to spare us the time and your extremely busy schedule. We wish you all the very best. Apologies in advance, all of us, if we have the misfortune to be hired to <laughs> to do an inquiry in your on your turf. Um, if it's Chris, Chris we'll, we'll all come yeah. and wrap him up in cotton wool for you. <laughs> Chris is already well known to us. Yes, exactly. I, I did one a long time ago, as you know, but I haven't had the misfortune to do anything since then. So hopefully we will leave your leave your good district alone. Um, now, Toby, Toby you, which is your, you mentioned your village. Which is your village? Uh, Olveston. Okay, yeah, very um, nice. Got nothing, uh, nothing planned there just at the moment. <laughs> Just at the moment. <laughs> and, and in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Matt Spry from Litchfield. He's going to talk to us about um, the census material that's been published recently, Matthew being the uh, the guru of all things demographics. So uh, we're really looking forward to, to that on the 20... We'll get the date right, 21st of July. Please pause us. Yes, I haven't got that one wrong. That's, that's <laughs> the first for me. I always get the dates wrong. In the meantime, enjoy uh, the forthcoming weekend, the rest of the sunshine. Fingers crossed for... Um, good result at Wimbledon on the weekend and once again Toby thank you very much indeed and keep enjoying the kebabs thanks all cheers thank you very much bye bye everybody bye